Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. All right, good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. Go ahead and move back to your seats. Welcome, everybody. It's good to see uh, so many people. It's usually like the back end doesn't necessarily get filled, and now it's filled, and that's fantastic. Welcome, everyone, to City Beautiful Church. This is your first time. My name is Ryan. If this is your hundredth time, still the same. I don't have a conditional personality. I am who I am always. Um, Today, I'm really excited about the word the Lord has for us uh, in this Washer Sunday thing where, you know, we like to begin each year asking the Lord for an individual word that would guide our year, and the next week, we'll talk about the communal word that the Lord has given us. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this week. I think today actually feels like it's probably like December 41st, 2020, like everything changed. We're like, oh, thank God that's over. And then this week happened. Uh, so that's a thing. Um, And like many of you, uh, I felt a lot of feelings this week. How many of you felt a lot of feelings? Right? You you oscillated between a lot of feelings and a lot of thoughts, and you probably had a lot of conversations. And some of you, uh, like myself, probably spent too much time on social media. Some of you spent not enough listening because it's just easier to avoid. Um, And I didn't know what to say today, honestly. For a while, I was wrestling with it, and I I wrote a whole alternative sermon that I'm just going to record and and throw up on my Instagram because I I don't know if you guys know this. I'm opinionated, (laughs) which you love about me. That's why you're here. Um, The only thing I want to say is this, and uh, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer because that's what I felt like was the most authentic response that we can have from the Lord. Um, As I was anticipating what happened on Wednesday, as I watched it unfold during that day and we were in here recording and, you know, it was, the news was still coming in and then seeing everything that happened since, um, I had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, thoughts and opinions kind of engaging with different people, like working through my own stuff. But the thing that I kept coming back to is, well, this is us. Like, this is us. And I think that that works on two levels. As Americans even if we're newly minted Americans and the Canadian. Um, <laughs> hi, Jonathan. Um, and, and even more so as Christians. And I, with everything that's gone on in 2020, um, it is, you guys know this, the environment is that we demonize the other. There's us over here and we're the real deal. We're on God's, you know, we're on God's side. We're the ones that are interpreting the Bible correctly or as Americans, it's like we're the patriotic ones. And those ones over there, <clears throat> they're the betrayers. They're the others. They've, you know, they, they've exempted themselves from this thing. As Americans, until we look at the other side and say, that's us, we will never solve any of these problems. And as Christians, even more so, and I've spoken about this many times when it comes to unity, Unity is not something that you and I choose, and it's not something you and I manufacture. It is something that has been won for us by Jesus Christ, and we choose to come into agreement with it or not. But the moment that you look at other Christians as them, 
you have lost your claim to the grace of God. I say that with very much seriousness. The moment that you look at other Christians as them over there, that you're on God's right side and they're not, you have lost your claim to God's grace. And it requires a tremendous amount of humility for us as citizens of this country and even more so as citizens of heaven to look at the other side and go, yeah, that's us. Those people are us too. And that's embarrassing and it's really uncomfortable because it questions all of our tribal affiliations. But it only perpetuates the problem when we continue to act as if they are on the wrong side and we're on the right side and we're justified and they're demonized and that we dehumanize other people. Whenever you look, you know, in charismatic circles, a lot of times we talk about this idea of revival, of God sending his Holy Spirit. There's going to be a new movement of God um, that's going to bring about, you know, a tremendous amount of salvations and kind of a reawakening of the church. And there's always these questions about, like, what is it that starts revival? Um, You know what doesn't start revival? Protests. You know what doesn't start revival? Standing up for your rights. That doesn't foment revival. When you look at scripture, the only thing that brings about revival is confession and repentance. We look at the story of Nehemiah and Ezra, kind of towards the end of the Old Testament era. Israel had been a mess. They'd been in exile. They're kind of coming back. Ezra opens up the book of the law their scriptures at the time, and he begins to read it out loud, and everybody loses it. They're like, oh my gosh, we are so far off. And nobody in Israel goes, oh yeah, those guys, man, they weren't obedient to the law. They're the ones that really need to get in good with Yahweh. There was a collective ownership of the sins of the people. The people, not those people, all of the people. And it was only when God's people collectively said, we have missed the mark together, and none of us are exempt, that God actually brought about revival. And so in that note, I want to lead us in prayer. I was uh, just kind of figuring out, do I write something? What do I do? And uh, my friend Bishop, Bishop Greg actually posted a prayer from our Anglican traditions called the Great Litany. And it was actually written in 1544. So this is 500 years old. It's got good mileage on it, so you know you can kind of trust it. And what we're going to do is I'm going to lead us through this prayer. And it's going to be a little bit of call and response. We've done this before. This is kind of how liturgy works. Think of it as a song without a melody. So if you need a melody to connect with God, you probably need to go and do some business with him there uh, because everything is liturgy. Um, And so I'm going to pray what's in italics, and you guys are going to pray what's in bold. I'm just going to leave a little bit of space in between these calls and responses. And this is how Israel worshipped. This is how the church has has worshipped throughout history. But this is really a prayer of confession and repentance that comes from that place of this is us. And so I want you to be open to whatever the Lord says to you. And even in some of these things as we're praying, if it triggers you, if it brings shame, allow that shame to lead you somewhere instead of it being the thing where you, you just dip out and close off your heart. Okay? God doesn't bring shame, but we often feel shame because something's being stirred up within us. And the Spirit walks us through shame to get to the core of where it is that we've actually placed our identity and then identifying those things as idolatry so that we can hand it over to Him because Jesus is in the business of smashing idols. Amen? Amen. All right. So let us pray. And full-bodied, full-throated, please. (laughs) O God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth, O God, the Son, Redeemer of the world, 
O God, the Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the faithful. O holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, one God. Remember not, Lord Jesus, our offenses, nor the offenses of our forebears. Neither reward us according to our sins. Spare us, good Lord, spare your people, whom you have redeemed with your most precious blood. And by your mercy, preserve us forever. From all evil and wickedness, from sin, from the works and the salts of the devil, from your wrath and everlasting condemnation. From all blindness of heart, from pride, vanity, and hypocrisy, from envy, hatred, and malice, and from all lack of charity. From all disordered and sinful affections, and from all the deceits of the world, the flesh, and the devil. From all false doctrine, heresy, and schism, from hardness of heart and contempt of your word and commandments. From all oppression, conspiracy, and rebellion, from violence, battle, and murder, and from dying suddenly and unprepared. By the mystery of your holy incarnation, by your holy nativity and submission to the law, by your baptism, fasting, and temptation, by your agony and bloody sweat, by your cross and passion, by your precious death and burial, by your glorious resurrection and ascension, by the sending of the Holy Spirit, by your heavenly intercession, and by your coming again in power and great glory. In all times of tribulation, in all times of prosperity, in the hour of death and in the day of judgment, we sinners beseech you to hear us, O Lord God, that it may please you to rule and govern your holy church universal in the right way, to send forth laborers into your harvest, to prosper their work by your Holy Spirit, to make your saving health known unto all nations, and to hasten the coming of your kingdom. To give all your people increase of grace to hear your word with humility, to receive it with pure affection, and to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. To bring into the way of truth all who have erred and deceived. To give us a heart to love and fear you and diligently keep your commandments. We bless and keep all your people. That it may please you to rule the hearts of your servants, President Trump and President-elect Biden, and all others in authority, that they may do justice and show mercy and walk humbly before you. To bless and protect all who serve their communities by their labor and learning. To make wars to cease in all the world and to give all nations unity, peace, and concord. To have mercy upon all people. That it may please you to give us true repentance to forgive us all our sin, negligence, and ignorance, and to endue us with the grace of your Holy Spirit to amend our lives according to your holy word. To forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers, and to turn their hearts. 
to strengthen those who stand, to encourage the faint-hearted, to raise up those who fall, and finally to beat down Satan under our feet. Son of God, we beseech you to hear us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. O Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. O Christ, hear us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Amen. Shake it out. All right? You're all here, you're present, you were created for this moment in history. It's not an accident that you're here. And I hope that that gives you an extra added fuel for seeking the Lord when it comes to vision for your life. Because he's got a job for you to do. And he's going to partner with you to equip you to do the job that he's got for you to do. And there's a lot of ways we talk about what that job is. It's to further the kingdom. It's to preach the good news. There's a lot of different language that we use in the Christian household to speak of that, but that's what we're doing when we're speaking of vision. And so as I was kind of seeking out scripture that I thought would really help us to hone in on this idea of what does it mean to hear a word from the Lord and why does God do that for us, um, I was led to 2 Peter chapter 1, which I like to call Peter 2 electric boogaloo. Um, <laughs> And we're going to read a pretty significant portion of this scripture here. And maybe many of you haven't even, didn't even know there was a second Peter. You know, the first one was so good, he wrote another one. This letter, Peter, is kind of like, you know, maybe the bishop of Jerusalem. And I love Peter's story that, you know, when we watch him in the Gospels, he's, he really, he loves Jesus, he wants to make a good impression, but he's just erratic, and he's just all over the place, and he's very impulsive. And Jesus is very patient with him, and he encourages him and when necessary, and rebukes him when necessary, and he has that huge collapse when, um, when Jesus is taken away by the authorities, and it's like after the resurrection that he's restored. And now we're finding a very old man who's lived through that whole story. He's guided uh, um, all, the, all of these Christians in kind of, you know, if you can almost think of it as like Peter and James, their ministry was to Jewish Christians, and then Paul was really reaching out for Gentile Christians, and together they're working together. So this is him writing at the end of his life, like what matters? This is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in the first verse. Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus the Messiah to those who have obtained a share of faith equal to ours in the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus the Messiah. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. God has bestowed upon us through his divine power everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. The result is that he has given us through these things his precious and wonderful promises. And the purpose of all of this is so that you may run away from the corruption of lust that is in the world and may become partakers of the divine nature. So because of this, you should strain every nerve to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and your knowledge with self-control and your self-control with patience and your patience with piety and your piety with family affection and your family affection with love. If you have these things in plentiful supply, you see, you will not be wasting your time or failing to bear fruit in relation to your knowledge of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. 
Someone who doesn't have these things, in fact, is so short-sighted as to be actually blind and has forgotten what it means to be cleansed from earlier sins. So, my dear family, you must make the effort all the more to confirm that God has called you and chosen you. If you do this, you will never trip up. This is how you will have richly laid out before you an entrance into the kingdom of God's coming age, the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. And so what is Peter encouraging those first Christians to, and by extension, encouraging us to at the very beginning of uh, of this letter that he wants to kind of set the thesis up front. You know, when you walked in, you maybe saw these nine icons that we have of our uh, values as a church. And the top three are these theological values. And this is kind of, we believe, you know, does a pretty good job of enveloping the Christian journey. First of all, it's intimacy with Father God. We were created for intimacy of him. This is where Peter talks about knowledge. We've talked about that a lot. It's not knowing stuff about Jesus. It's being an intimate relationship with the God that's revealed in Jesus. Second is identity. And it's not just knowing our identity as the children of God, as the image uh, bearers of God, um, that we are you know, in Christ but it's learning how to inhabit that day by day through the way that we think, feel, and act. And that leads finally to our purpose, that our purpose is to be the spirit-led church, that we are led out from this place to love the world back into relationship with God. And so what Peter is talking about really embraces all of those different things. And so when we talk about vision, and this is different from, you know, maybe many of you have Uh, resolutions for the year or things that you want to work on in your personal life you want to get better at. And that's fine. I have nothing against that. That's not what we're talking about today. Okay? When we're talking about receiving a word from the Lord, the vision that God gives you for your life has a purpose. And it's in that line that he says, through these things, his precious and wonderful promises. And what are those promises? That the purpose of all of this is that, number one, you may run away from the corruption of lust that is in the world. And he's not talking about just sexual lust, just looking at somebody. He's talking about, like, the objectification of creation, of consuming people, experiences, whatever it might be for your own benefit, where you are the God of your own little world. And the world exists to serve you. That's lust. That's what he's talking about. That the wonderful promises God has, the purpose that he has, is that we would run away from those things. Which means that there's a human agency in that. That's our responsibility to to participate with God in that. And that we may become partakers of his divine nature. So we run away from something, but we're also running towards something. And so when God gives us vision for our lives, it's so that we can participate in what God is doing in the world today. But Peter goes on to say, this has always been true. You know this is true. I know this is true. But there's an element of that where it is so easy to forget that if you do not take care of what is true, you will miss it. And the problem with a lot of American Christianity today is that we believe that faith is a one and done thing. You were eight years old, you prayed the prayer, and then you're good. And all you're doing is just maintaining the thing that you said 30, 40, 50 years ago. But the way it's laid out in these first Christians is this is a journey to participate in. And so we need constant reminders of what is true. That we're always repenting, we're always rethinking, we're always coming back to participate with God in his divine nature. 
And I know there's been times for myself, many of my friends, many of your friends perhaps, where they've kind of let go of the trappings of Christianity. They've kind of purged themselves of religion, as some people would maybe say, and stop going to church, stop reading their Bibles, stop praying. And then they realize like, oh, wait a minute, none of this is true. I just stopped doing these things and, and nothing's changed. And again, it's that idea that Christianity is some sort of status. Like I just, I got the, I got the pack when I signed up, the, the kit, and it's got all the things and I do all the stuff. And, but I think it's like, it's like a garden. Imagine if you, you know, you created this plot of land in your backyard and you went and you got the plants and you, you planted them and you were, you know, gave the, the seeds of kind of first watering and then you just left it. And then you come back three months later and you're like, huh, wow, I didn't, I didn't water it, I didn't give it ample sun, I didn't till the soil, and there's nothing there. I guess faith must not be real. That's how often we think of it. But our faith in God, our participation in his divine mercies, in his nature, is not a one-and-done status thing. It's a relationship. You know, I had a landlord when I lived on Crystal Lake, and I, <laughs> how many of you have landlords? How many of you are landlords? Don't, don't raise your hand. We signed a con. He lives in Arlington, Texas. This is like the last house he owned here. We signed a contract, and I never saw him. One time I saw him walking through my backyard two years into my contract because he was just making sure I hadn't trashed the place. And it was this transactional relationship. I didn't know what he looked like or whatever as long as I got the rent in on time. And, you know, if I ever needed repair, I'd send an email. But there was no real relationship. It was transactional. And a lot of times we think of our faith with God as being transactional. It's like, well, I'll just behave myself. I'll just uphold my end of the contract. And then God will have to uphold his. And if we do pray, usually our prayers are emails to our landlords. Hey, you said you were going to do this and you didn't do it. I need a new refrigerator. I've got ants. I had a leak in my roof for two years. (laughs) But that's not how our faith is to be understood. We are participating. We are partakers of divine nature. And Peter goes on to say, you know, we have to cultivate that. We have to till the soil. We continue to partner with God because this is, as some would say, the divine dance, the perichoresis, the, the relational aspect of being in God's presence that, yes, if you stop doing all of that, God ceases to exist, at least for you. But what's happening in that ongoing participation, those promises that he's given us, what we see Peter saying is that God shores up the qualities that we need to meet life's uncertainties. And that's what he says. You supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue is you kind of knowing what to do even though you've never been in that situation before. A lot of times we have this attitude in life of like, I'm just kind of winging it. I'm being led by the Holy Spirit, right? Like I'm just kind of wandering and I'm just winging it and just somehow I'll just know what to do in life. But that's not what really, that's not what it really is. Virtue, these are muscles that we need to exercise through the promptings of the Holy Spirit to develop the character necessary to know how to meet the world. And so when we have a crazy week like this week, when things that some of you didn't think were possible, and some of you have been reading the signs for a long time and went, yeah, I'm not surprised. There's virtue that needs to be cultivated as Christians where we know how to properly respond to the world even though things are happening that we never maybe anticipated. And there needs to be a reclaiming of virtue in the Christian household. But we add on to that virtue knowledge Intimate knowledge, factual knowledge, we are people who are transformed by the renewings of our minds. We add on to that knowledge self-control. 
which I think beautifully, paradoxically, is a gift of the Holy Spirit. We add on to that patience, piety, family affection, which is, you know, affection for the church. How many of you love the church? One, just one person, all right? The rest of y'all, get out! You have to add that on. Did you know that you have to actually stir up affection? Uh, Another way to say it, did you know that love takes work? Well, that's weird. I thought it would just come natural. You have to stir up affection for the family of God. Because guess what? You don't like these people. Now, I know where many of you, the lives that many of you were saved from. You look at the person that's sitting next to you, you're literally rubbing elbows in worship, and you're like, them too? They get in? They get to go to the kingdom of heaven? Yeah. Did you know that the church is the place of suffering? Because God is working out of you all of your prejudices by the family that he's placed you in because you don't quit family. And you add on to that family affection, love. And so God is shoring up in you the qualities that you need to meet an uncertain world in uncertain times, yet still know how to be the faithful presence of Jesus. And as Peter goes on through this letter, and we see it time and again in the, in the New Testament, everything that God speaks is an unfolding of what he spoke in Jesus. Like you can think about the, the Old Testament, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to point to Jesus. That's what it is. There's no such thing as the Bible being a handbook for life. It's not like, you know, the manual for my Volkswagen Jetta where I had to go like page 278 to see why there's red lights blinking. It's like, oh, that, that's the thing. I need to do that. That's not how the Bible works. That's not what it's for. The entire Old Testament, the purpose, the main purpose is to point to Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is the best thing that God has ever had and ever will have to say. And so everything that God speaks to you now is some kind of unfolding or embellishment of the thing that he's already said in Jesus. And this is why we call it a mystery. Peter talks about it as a mystery. Paul talks about it as a mystery. A mystery is not just shrugging your shoulders at the the universe, just kind of like, I don't know, it's a mystery. It's like, no, God spoke through Jesus, and we're still figuring out what that means. And so the word that the Lord speaks to you has to be an unfolding of the reality that we discover in Jesus. And because of that, oftentimes the word that God speaks to you will be the beginning of a discovery and not a conclusion. We only come to God because we want answers. We want a conclusion to some problem that we're having. But what if instead of that, God speaks a word that you have no idea what it means, but it's only through 2021 that you realize, oh my goodness, this is what he was saying this whole time and I didn't know it. This is why my word for 2020 was apocalypse. I'm like, cool, I know what that is. Eh, That turned out differently than I thought and it did for many of you. But it was the beginning of a discussion that I had to have with the Lord. And so as Peter's saying, confirm your calling, confirm the prophetic word as as an unpacking, unfolding of the word that he's spoken in Jesus. Then when we come to a day like today, what are we asking? That a word from the Lord keeps us firmly established in the truth of King Jesus. All these little words are expositions of the big word. So I want to just take a moment to say, you know, what does it mean to hear the voice of God? Some of you are very new on your journey with us as a church, and and I know we all bring in our stuff when it comes to this idea of prophecy. Some of you, you grew up in churches where, you know, God spoke 2,000 years ago. He gave the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, to the, the the first apostles to just kind of set the tone, and then that's about it. God doesn't speak today. 
And so you're very nervous about this idea of hearing the voice of God. Some of you grew up in churches where it was all too familiar that, to hear from God, like that God speaks to us today, but it had been weaponized. How many of you, were, you know, you've been in this discussion with someone, and they just kind of throw down that Holy Spirit card, and we'll be like, well, God told me this, and you're like, now I'm going toe-to-toe with Yahweh. Wow, I didn't know that was what we were doing today, you know? And so we bring in, when we talk about like hearing from God, when we hear, talk about prophecy, oftentimes it's clouded by our negative experiences. But just because you've had negative experiences doesn't mean that it's invalid. It just means that there are, you are an imperfect human being and you are surrounded by imperfect human beings. And it doesn't discount the thing just because it's been abused. We see that all throughout our culture. We've seen that through church history that we've been given good and beautiful things from God and we have abused them time and again. So what does it mean to hear the voice of God? Here's a couple things that I have found really helpful on my journey. Uh, A lot of times we say, if it's from God, it's true, and that's that's the thing. I think that the, the reverse is also accurate. If it is true, that is God speaking to you. I think God is always speaking. But when we're in moments like this, what we're doing is we're attuning our ears to hear his voice. And everything that God speaks is an interpretation of his love. I think about it like a radio, you know, like an FM radio channel, but you're kind of tuning in to different frequencies on that singular wavelength. It's all the same wavelength, but you're looking for those individual frequencies to get your individual channel. That's what hearing the voice of God is like. You're tuning into specific channels of this one wavelength called love. And that's what we call the virtues. The virtues are all extensions of love in particular. Number two, whenever you hear from God, ask the most obvious question. Does this sound like God? Specifically, does this sound like the God that's revealed in Jesus? And that is so important because sometimes what we think we're hearing from the the Lord is just our gut. It's just the gross pizza we had the night before or whatever it is because we've kind of entuned like whatever I feel and then there's this thing called the Holy Spirit and that's probably the same thing (laughs) and it's not we need guidelines to understand so when God speaks it should sound like God like when you hear me preach it should probably sound like me okay don't buy all those deep fakes out there where you know I'm selling products or whatever it is I know people are after me online I know this so does it sound like him? Does it, and it does it sound like Jesus. Is that a thing that Jesus would say? Did you know that God will never say something that Jesus wouldn't say? Pretty central to our faith, but that's actually pretty controversial for some people. And then we go, well, how else does God speak? Does it size up with what we know in Scripture? Does it size up with the great tradition of the church? Does it size up with my community here together? Do I have people that I can bounce off and be like, hey, I feel like the Lord said this to me. Does that resonate? Does that sound correct to you? And then I think most importantly, does it actually, does this word from the Lord move you closer to him or farther away from him? Every decision you make in life, that's going to be your best filter, okay? If I make this decision, does it move me closer in relationship to God or does it move me farther away? I don't think God really cares where you live or what your job is as long as you're not like torturing puppies or something. But it's like the decisions that we make, am I in deeper relationship with him? Am I participating in his divine nature if I make this choice? Or is it moving me farther away from him? Next, I think this is tremendously important. You know, maybe you believe that God speaks, you've witnessed it, you've seen it in other people around you, but you don't think that you're actually capable or worthy of hearing him. 
So there's a whole other work that God needs to do in your life if that's true of you today. Yes, God speaks, but he kind of speaks to like the professional Christians. It's beautiful to recognize that you don't get to decide if you're lovable. You don't get to decide if you're worthy or unworthy. God gets to decide that. And we take what we see in scripture and through tradition and in nature and in our community and what you've already experienced in him to go, he has already decided that you are worthy of hearing his voice and that he has actually crafted you on a genetic level to be able to hear him. And so the journey to learning the prophetic is believing that you are even capable of it. And then finally, God always speaks hope. Always, 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 always. He always speaks hope. And that doesn't mean that the word that God gives us is not a difficult word. Sometimes God will speak a word of rebuke. But if a word leaves you with a sense of condemnation, you have not heard the whole word. So you need to stick in it and see what he's doing. Because a lot of times what God is going to do through the words he speaks is he's going to take you by the hand and he's actually going to walk you through darkness. He's going to walk you through shame. He's going to walk you through guilt. He's going to walk you through anxiety and despair in order to purge those things from you that you come out on the other side stronger, filled with virtue. And so the word of the Lord does not always come to us easy and it's not always a delight, but it's real and it's good because it's defined by his goodness. So what we're going to do, underneath your, ta- underneath your chair, there's a little half sheet of paper. And we're going to take four minutes and we're just going to give you space to seek the Lord's face and what he might be saying. And some of you, you've already come in with a word today and that's great. Um, I want to encourage you in that. Uh, some of you, you may have, you got here and you're like, we're doing what today? I just wanted to sing some songs. Well, guess what? God's going to speak to you. Um, and so I'm going to set a timer for four minutes and you're going to have some time just to come before the Lord and just work that out. Lord, speak to me a word for 2021 that will keep me established in your truth. So let's pray. Father, again, we testify the truth that you're here, that you're present. Some of us feel it, some of us don't, but that doesn't mean that you're not here. Lord, would you open the ears of your dear ones here to hear your truth? Would you open our hearts to believe that we are capable of receiving a word from you that will guide us through 2021? Will you open up our minds that we stop being quite so analytical and cynical, but aligning ourselves with your truth through discipline to know that you want to speak to us today? So speak to us, Lord, for we are listening.
Amen. And maybe the Lord didn't speak to you immediately in that. That's okay. This is just an exercise. I want to encourage you during the week to continue to press in, uh, to be insistent as we see in Scripture, to come before him knowing that he desires to speak. So what do we do when the Lord speaks to us? How do we steward that, that word? How do we do what Peter's encouraging us to, where we're, we're participating, that we're straining every nerve to supplement our faith with whatever it is that the Lord speaks to us? Well, I believe that we need a rule of life to steward vision from God so that we don't get distracted. We need a rule of life to steward that vision. What is a rule of life? The word for rule comes from uh, the Greek word for trellis. You know, uh, many of you that perhaps are are in gardening or you visited a vineyard, for for example, you might know what a trellis is. But it's essentially a structure um, that's built into the ground at the base of a plant that helps the plant to grow up and out and to kind of help the plant to flourish um, so that the fruit that it produces is really good. And I think that's a great analogy for sometimes our own spiritual journeys. When we just kind of plant the seed and then we just kind of hope for the best, we don't really care for it. It can become stunted or kind of mutated. It's not really thriving. But when we actually guide the growth of that plant through some kind of structure, through rhythms, through discipline, we're able to see that plant grow and produce good fruit. And so I think our spiritual journeys are kind of marked by these two seemingly opposing forces in passion and in discipline. And a lot of times, I think this is especially true in my generation and younger, we have been led to believe that the primary vehicle, the engine of our faith is passion, which based, again, is based on feeling. Like emotivism is like the, you know, like... The, the, the kind of little sister to the romantic movement um, in eras past. And so we believe we do what we're passionate about. We're called to passion. Um, that's really, that shows us what our purpose is, what meaning is, and that's great until passion wanes. And then we've got to find a new passion. We're constantly jumping from one passion to the other. And what happens then is we, we actually move from passion being a gift, a blessed season that God gives us where we can't help but to do something. You know that feeling? That's passion. You're like, I, I can't help myself. I've got to do this thing. Like, I'm so passionate about it. We take it from being a gift and then we start to make it into this unhealthy rule that it has to be, I have to be passionate or not at all. And that's actually a really big indicator of, of immaturity. I mean, last year was all about like, Uh, we were looking at this idea of maturity and immature people are just guided by their passions. And God has given us disciplines, which is to do the thing when, when we don't feel like it, to do it when it's hard. And if we allow it, passion and discipline both become gifts from the Holy Spirit that lead to our liberation. And it's important to recognize that a rule of life, spiritual disciplines, are not a limiting of your life. This is a lot of times what we believe because we're Americans before we're Christians. We believe that freedom means I get to do whatever I want. And so anytime that there are rules or limits placed on that, I'm losing my freedoms. This is how we think of freedom in America. But in the scriptural narrative, freedom, when it says it is for freedom, Christ has set you free, it doesn't, it is for freedom, Christ has set you free, now you get to do whatever you want. Isn't that awesome? It's, no, I am now able to be who God has called me to be. That God's definition on my life is true freedom. And actually, that idea of like, I get to do whatever I want, that's a form of slavery. 
because we're enslaved to our desires. Are my addicts? Where are my addicts at? Right? We are enslaved by our freedom of choice. We are enslaved by believing that we have all of these options, and that's what it means to be free, that I have 16 choices of bleach instead of just two like those commies in Europe. Freedom means I get to be who God has called me to be as his child, as his image bearer, as a little Christ. And so spiritual disciplines are the the rule of life, the trellis that is necessary to help me to live into that freedom of who God has called me to be, that guardrail, that structure of discipline that leads me to living a full life. And I think when, when we're entering into disciplines, it's really important then that you know your personality, you know how you think, how you act, how you feel, how you perceive the world, how you put energy back out into the world, because that'll help you suss out what, do you, like, what are the kinds of disciplines that you need to participate in on this journey of liberation. So we might talk about uh, upstream and downstream disciplines. Upstream, these are disciplines that are very unnatural to you, Okay. It's, it's, it's kind of growth through friction where you've placed limits. Like how many of you, you, you know that? Like when there's a limit on you, that actually gets you moving a little bit more. We did a lot of this in art school. You know, I was doing like painting class. The first half of the semester, only black and white paint. What can you do when you just have black and white? And that limit actually produced creativity. And it's very unnatural because we all want to paint in color. So for me, an, an upstream spiritual discipline is actually daily rhythms of prayer. That's not easy for me, knowing my personality, knowing that I start things slow and I taper off from there. But inserting, like making that a non-negotiable in my daily structure has actually anchored me deeper in the presence of God because I'm doing something that I don't feel like. And then there are downstream spiritual disciplines. These are things that actually come really naturally to you. Um, they just kind of need to be tweaked and shifted into the kingdom. Um, so, for example, uh, the past two years I've been trying to practice more and more Sabbath, which is taking a day of rest uh, to delight in the kingdom, as Dan Allender says. And so it would actually come pretty naturally to me to rest. It was just kind of anointing or blessing that rest to be resting in God's presence. Um, there's also there's disciplines of engagement where you're, you're, you're adding something into your life and then disciplines of abstinence where you're removing the clutter. You're kind of canceling out the noise so that you can be with God. So here's just, this is a non-exhaustive list of spiritual disciplines. And some of these should be familiar and some of them shouldn't. So very briefly, Sabbath. Um, Pete Scazzaro, un- Uncle Pete. Uh, former pastor of a church up in New York City, does the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality program. He says, Sabbath is the one non-negotiable of the Christian journey because it's a commandment. It's in the Ten Commandments that we are to take a Sabbath. And Sabbath is the spiritual discipline upon which all of the other spiritual disciplines will be built because it defines our week as being seven days. And God gave Israel, by extension us, a Sabbath to say, you are not a human doing, you are a human being. And so when we come to that day, maybe it's Saturday, maybe it's Sunday, whatever it might be, and you go, no, I'm just going to do some work today instead. What you're doing is you're saying to God, no, I actually believe it's more fruitful for me to just do a bunch of stuff because that's where I find my identity. And so Sabbath is kind of a discipline of absence because you're choosing not to work for a 24-hour period to come back to God to recognize my definition is not in what I do. My definition is being his beloved. And kind of an extension of that comes play and recreation. 
like delighting in the kingdom, getting out there, getting into nature, enjoying your life. That the gift that life that God has given you is a gift. It's not something that you have to work for and strive and earn. It's a gift that he's given you. The next one, simplicity. Some people would say the spiritual discipline of detachment. And it's just cleaning out all of the junk. Remove distractions, okay? I know many of you, uh, you've, you've cleared away some of your social media accounts. That's a great example of simplicity. Um, or you limit how much television you watch, or whatever it might be. Those are great examples of simplicity. Another great one is being disciplined to give away your income. So when we, when we used to meet downtown uh, at Sat Comedy Club, you know, there was a lot of homeless folks in the area, and we were late at night on a Sunday, and uh, I had a real speck in my eye when it comes to those people. And God had me on this journey for about six months. He's like, whenever someone asks you for money, you're going to give it. You're going to walk across the street to the ATM, and you're going to get money for them, and you're going to give it to them. And I'm like, but, 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 they'll spend it. Nope, you're going to do it. And it was awful because of what it was doing to my sense of pride. So a lot of times, simplicity is actually robbing us of all of the distractions that we build up to believe that we have this full life. Uh, simplicity could also be fasting. Some people, you know, the most common fasting would be every Friday um, abstaining from food and spending that time in prayer with the Lord. But fasting could be all sorts of things. Next, I love this trio, silence, stillness, and solitude. I've spoken about this a lot. You can go back into previous sermons to find some discoveries there. But silence is the quiet submission of the mind, okay? Silence is the quiet submission of the mind, that monkey mind where you're always thinking about what other people are thinking about you and all this stuff. Practicing silence. Stillness is a quiet submission of the body to stop fidgeting and twitching and having to do stuff. And then solitude is the quiet submission of the heart, learning how to be with God. I love that story of Mother Teresa where this guy from, uh, I think like New York Times or whatever, goes out to visit her in Calcutta and he's like, you spend all this time with the Lord, what do you say? And she says, oh, I don't really say much. Oh my gosh, well, what does he say to you? Oh, he doesn't really say much either. And I love that. Just that quiet submission of the heart to be with God. Uh, next is scripture. How many of you have read the Bible before? Good, great. So you've already practiced this one. So scripture, as a, uh, what I mean here is scripture as devotion. Um, that's reading scripture, immersing yourself in the story of God, allowing it to wash over you and to interpret you, uh, meditating on the scripture, allowing that to be the fuel that, that uh, gives you a sense of where to go with your prayers. Um, prayer rhythms, okay, praying a daily office, uh, you know, using uh, books of common prayer. I have a lot of liturgical books in the library that you guys are free to get in there. One of the things that I do, one o'clock every day, I pray the serenity prayer. Many of you would know this. Um, and it's just a very short prayer. It just pops up on my calendar. Do you know a calendar is like the second best gift that God has ever given you next to the Holy Spirit? Because you can just put something in there and go, oh, this is a non-negotiable. That's what I do. You know, I think a lot of us do. You go, you know what? I don't make plans on Sunday mornings. That's my time to be with my community. I don't make plans on Wednesday nights. That's my time for fellowship. And I'm going to actually craft the rest of my life around those decisions. Uh, next is Study. I love study, inductive Bible studies, uh, thematic studies. Like there's something that you want to know about and go, what is God's opinion on this thing or that idea and that you participate in that? So in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about some of the small group studies we're going to be doing through the spring. Service and mission. Oh my goodness, absolutely. 
putting yourself out there to, to, as a discipline to be the hands and feet of Jesus, for you to stop talking about it, and especially when it comes to social justice, not necessarily just to stop talking about it or stop posting about it, but actually to do something on the other side of that. So what does that look like? Does it mean volunteering at a shelter or going down to the food bank and helping out? You know, what is it that you could actually do as an act of service to put some action to what you say that you believe? Caring for your physical or emotional health. How many of you, it's, it's counseling, it's coaching, it's, uh, you know, spiritual direction. All of those things are incredibly important that, you know, as a discipline, we care for our emotional health or our physical health. Um, you know, God might want you around on this planet for a little while right? So maybe you need to cut back on the hamburgers. I don't know. Maybe get out there and take a walk. You know, physical health can actually be a spiritual discipline as well. And then finally, community. Um, I strongly believe you cannot be a follower of Jesus outside of the community of God, okay? Faith, Christian faith, is not an individual thing. It is a communal thing. It is something that we do together. And when we just think it's just about us and Jesus, we haven't really read scripture and we haven't really listened to him. And so what does that look like for you to participate in the spiritual discipline of community? Is it joining a community group or a small group? Is it gathering together some of your friends and being like, hey, week in, week out, let's do this thing together. Let's talk through this. Let's pray together. Is it finding a mentor, somebody who's been on the journey longer than you, that can listen to you, help you to process, advocate for you? Is it practicing the spiritual discipline of hospitality, which again is really hard right now because we're in a pandemic, but not impossible to say, you know, every once a month, twice a month, I'm going to invite a new person over for a meal. And through my act of serving them, of creating a space for them to feel welcome, I'm going to remind them that they're a human being that's worthy of dignity. As I get older, one of my favorite things to do, I think hospitality is the radical presence of God that reminds people that they're human beings to be loved. And we need more hospitality in the world today. So, I'm going to give you two minutes. You can think through those, and you can think through others. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you. But I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation. What are two disciplines that I can add to my rule of life? to help me steward the word that God has given me. So take two minutes and just process that. What are two, two disciplines?
Here's the thing about spiritual discipline. A lot of times people come to me for spiritual direction, which I'm offering this week. So make sure that you sign up if you want to come in. We'll spend some time in prayer. We'll process the word the Lord's given you and how you can craft that rule of life. But sometimes people come to me like, you know, here's what I'm struggling with. What do I do? And I'm like, okay, try this discipline. They come to me two weeks later like, it didn't work. What's the next one? And we'll keep doing it. But it didn't work. Well, yeah, but keep doing it. It probably is going to take about four months for you to see any sort of uh, fruit from any new discipline that you participate in. So I would encourage you, and to simplify, just make it those two things. God's not in a rush and neither should you be. But just to participate in those two things for four months and then to reassess. Um, Use your calendar. Make those things non-negotiable in your life. Find a, a partner that you can process with and that you can share your victories and your struggles with. Um, Avoid legalism when it comes to discipline. These are things that we get to do in order to participate in God's divine nature. They're not have to. And you have to remember that Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden light. If it isn't easy and it isn't light, it isn't Jesus. And I want you to hear that. If it isn't easy and it isn't light, it's not Jesus. That's something else. So I'm really excited to see how your words come to play. So I want to invite you all to stand. We're going to continue on in worship. If you so choose, there are three stations for you to hammer out that word in a a little metal washer. um, And all the instructions that are there. So six people at a time can go. um, But set up times that you want to come in this week and you can hammer that word into your washer and then you have the option to be able to sit and to pray with me. So uh, before I send you forth, let's give, let's pray again. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who speaks today. The more, Lord, that you speak, the more may we find ourselves in your kingdom, more convinced of your character. And through that faithfulness of ours day in, day out, in seasons of tribulation and seasons of prosperity, I pray, Lord, that each one of us looks a little bit more like Jesus than we did the day before. And so, Father, continue to guide us. Bless our 2021, that we find ourselves deeper in love with you and with one another. We pray all of these things in the strong name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church Podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.